Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue through this uh, chapter of Hebrews, which is sometimes called the, the faith chapter. A reminder that it was most likely written to a, a, a small church of Christians who came out of the Jewish synagogues that understood who Jesus Christ was in the gospel and were being persecuted by the, 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 the Jewish church as well as the Roman government. And so this um, was written to strengthen their faith that they might know that through adversity and hardship there's still a God who is there. And they use the example now of those of old in the Old Testament particularly who by faith accomplished all these great things in the face of hardship. And so then we're encouraged as well to be able to pass through trials and troubles which um, may be way too much for flesh and blood to bear up under. And so we're given... Not just Hebrews 11, but the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it's in our language, and we have so many different translations of it that we can pick and choose the one that uh, reads best to us. And we're also thankful for teachers who understand the, um, the original languages and for study Bibles and so many things that we have that we're without excuse to be able to to hear your word in our own languages. And so we'd pray that you would continue to be with um, those who are working. And we have missionaries that work with Wycliffe, Bible translators, and, and jars that um, try to go about translating the Bible into all the different languages that they find all the time so that people can hear your word in what they call their own heart language. So we thank you that we've had it for as long as we've been alive in English and that we're able to read it. Please um, make us read it. Calls us to understand that when we take communion, we're saying it's by you and by your word that we live and breathe and move and have our being. So be with us this morning as we hear the preaching of your word and the reading of your word, which you've promised to bless to your glory and for your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read um, beginning in verse... 11, I'm sorry, we're going to begin reading verse 29, and we're going to stop in the middle of verse 35, and then we'll go from there. The word of the Lord, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Word of the Lord. And so let's just go back up to verse 29 and see, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, were drowned. Now, here's an interesting thing. When you see, you know, read the Old Testament, read where this is, and see about the people of Israel. It's like, really, Israel 
And they're not called Israel here. They're just called the people. They're not even called there the people of God. It's just called the people. Some translations just say they um, because it turns out they ended up not having faith. They perished in the wilderness. An entire generation perished in the wilderness um, except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. It was the next generation that had faith that went into the promised land. So how could they say that by faith the people crossed the Red Sea? Because it didn't seem like they had a lot of faith. And so what we see here is it wasn't their faith that got them across. Because why did they cross? They were stuck. They wanted to get out of slavery. Bad things. Bad situation. Here comes a Savior. Let's go. I'm going to take you to the promised land. Got to be better than this. Let's go. So they go. They plunder the Egyptians. They see all the miracles that take place. And they, they understand that something miraculous is happening. And we're getting out of here. And we have a powerful leader. And so we leave. And we go. And we're marching forward. In night, at night, the death angel has gone. They, you put the blood over you. You know, the Passover. You do all this. And um, the death angel passes over the people of God. They're the people of God by covenant. And so then they leave out of Egypt. And they go. And they're marching along through the promised land, and then Red Sea. It's like, all right, a little bit of a problem. I guess we're going to have to we're gonna have to go around. What are we doing? What's the plan? And here come the Egyptians, the superpower of the world, the mightiest army on the face of the planet at the time, coming up behind them with death on their minds. They hate these people, and they're going to destroy these people, and they have no hope. But then God tells Moses... And Moses, by faith, reaches out his staff, and God parts the Red Sea. And then the people are able to walk over as if on dry land. So it's God that did it. The people get to experience it. But why did they go? Because they were kind of between that literal rock and a hard place. They were like, <laughs> let's go. So they go. And the Bible tells us that they were all baptized into Moses in that as they passed through the Red Sea, meaning that his experience was now their experience. His faith was now their faith. The thing that he was able to take them through by his faith, they were able to experience because they're united to him. And what the Bible says is you need to use that as an example for our baptism because we're baptized into Christ. So wherever he goes, we're right there behind him, and he wins the way, and we experience what he experienced so that we are united to him by the Holy Spirit, and by his experience now being our experience. So when he passes through death, we pass through death with him. When he rises to life, we've risen with him. And the Bible tells us all these things. is isn't just something I kind of come up with. And so the people, by faith, were able to pass through. But when the Egyptians, who God was against, God saving his people, because this is the plan for Jesus Christ to come eventually and save the entire world. So the Egyptians, when they come, if they had succeeded, then they're going to drown. And so when they go to cross, it's too late for them, and God causes the Red Sea to swallow them so that they all um, go down, the mightiest army on earth. And it was just by faith. And the people listening to this at the time, you don't get a lot of explanation of who all these people are because these people knew their Old Testament. They knew their scrolls. They knew their Bibles. 
which would have been the Old Testament there at the time, and now they have some New Testament things, and they have the book of Hebrews that's being read to them, and then they get to study it and think about it even until today as generations after generations believe in him because their situation was hopeless. And it appeared that the situation of those reading the Hebrews then was hopeless. It can appear at times that, that our situation may be somewhat hopeless. And God is reminding us that, yeah, it can seem like there's nowhere, no way forward and there's enemies on your back and there's nothing I can do. And so we're like, well, I don't have the faith of Moses. I don't know that you know, God's speaking directly to me. Take a staff and stick it in the water and part the Red Sea and I can walk on. It's like, well, Jesus does that kind of thing all the time. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. You don't know the spiritual battles that have been cleared out of your path in order for you to be able to make it as long as you've been able to make it. But if you walk by faith, if you walk by sight, what you'll see is, uh, you know, all the difficult times that, you know, you finally made it through, or you see the difficult things that are in front of you, you see the Red Sea, you see the enemies coming after you so what do you do other than just give up turn around hope they don't kill you or jump in the water and hope you don't drown but um you follow god moses says this is the way we're going you can't go that way well watch so we follow god we do what god says and then watch what god does to prepare the way he says that we he has already um, has works prepared for us that we might walk in them so if we walk by faith he's already has a plan he already has a purpose he already has things set up for us in our life, but it's somehow God works mysteriously in this world, in our lives, so that uh, if we choose to walk in the flesh and we choose to go our own way and we choose to do what we feel is right, even maybe, you know, sometimes like, well, we don't understand. Well, God will even teach you things. He'll let you, well, let's put it like this. When I learned, when my sister learned how to drive, this is how I can tell if she listens to a sermon or not, because she'll say, you talked about me, or she'll just do a like on Facebook, so we'll see. So when my sister learned to drive, one day when I learned to talk, I'll be able to tell the story. So when my sister learned to drive, um, my mom was in the front seat teaching her how to drive, and I was in the back seat also teaching her how to drive. She's my younger sister, not by much. And I'm back there in the back. She's taking this turn, and she's taking it way too wide. It's a right turn. She's going way over to the left. There's a ditch over there, and we're both like, you got to turn, you got to turn, you got to turn. What? What? You got to turn, you got to turn. In the ditch. It's like, all right. <laughs> so I guess you've learned that you got to take that turn differently. <laughs> and she's like, I guess y'all learned that you better shut up when you're in the car. It's like, yeah. So sorry for using that word. Children, don't say shut up. And, um, but we were under duress. But that's, sometimes you learn things. You, you learn. I remember that. I remember God teaching me a lesson years later when I was in my, had taken. I'm gonna get up here and talk about myself. But anyway, um, I had borrowed, without permission, my mother's brand new Chevette. We were a Chevette family and two Pintos, by the way. But I took the Chevette because it was new. And I was going around curves, going too fast. It was a dirt road, and it skidded, and it went like this. And I turned, it went that way. And when I looked, I was looking at at the, um, the ground because I had flipped sideways in the car. It hit a tree. I wasn't going but about, it wasn't, it wasn't going that fast, but fast enough to flip me over and hit a tree. So I did what the wise thing was to do at that time. I, after I crawled out was I called my grandmother so that she might save me from the wrath of my father, <laughs> which she did. Thank you very much. And, um, but, you know, I never connected those two things together until this very point. All right, God, I get it. <laughs> My sister went in a ditch because I was yelling, and I went in a ditch because I was going too fast. So, sorry, Tammy. You can now like this sermon if you watch it. Um, but that's how you learn. Going in a ditch, 
you learn by making mistakes. You learn by, you know, my foolishness. So did God make me go too fast? So that Chandler hit, here goes one for Chandler. Chandler, um, so the story goes, as he tells it, there was a flea on his leg. He reaches down for the fleas, right down from the road from us, goes into a ditch. Wow. Ian has also gone off the road into a ditch. <laughs> so anyway, um, beware of ditches. So he hit a little culvert, didn't do much damage, but the air, well, it did. It totaled the car, actually, because of the way it happened. He didn't get hurt. The airbag went off, but it panicked him. So what I think is these things happen. After that, I was much more comfortable with Chandler's driving because I knew that he had now experienced a problem which enabled him to get scared enough to say I need to take driving more seriously. My going around the curve too quickly causing me to flip makes me take curves more seriously. My sister turning into a ditch makes her not want people to be in the car with her. I guess make us <laughs> don't be such backseat drivers. But the things in our life, you know, we even use the the terminology in our lives of, you know, going in a ditch, you know, because that's kind of what can happen. We go into ditches in our lives, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what do you do? One, how do you get out of the ditch and do it the proper way? And then what does that teach you about life going forward? Do you learn the lessons? And, but if you walk by sight in those situations, is all what I learned, is all what I did. But if you walk by faith and you recognize God's watching out, God's teaching, God's in control, and God has a plan for us. And so he wanted the people in this church and in, that listened to the word of God here to know that it was the people that were being saved by God to get us to Jesus Christ were able to escape certain death because of faith. And then verse 30, as they've entered now, these, the next generation has entered the promised land, it was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled. For seven days and so as the next generation has experienced you know Israel escaping Egypt and driving off into the ditch because they didn't have faith and they continued to go into ditches because they just couldn't deal with problems they kept wanting to go back to Egypt every time something hard would happen they're like it'd been better back in Egypt it'd been better back in Egypt um, imagine and if you've ever done that, we've maybe all have had the experience of saving somebody from something awful and then they go back get back into it or it's like, why do you, how do you, how do you keep doing that? And we do the same thing often. But the second generation had learned and seen and knew that God was serious about faith and they needed to believe and they went into the promised land by faith. And then God even has the city of Jericho on the other side to, to fall just by faith. It, it was just, they didn't do anything. Walk around, shout, do these things and the walls fell down and they were able to go in. So he's reminding us of this progression of what's happening with Israel. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So again, if we, if we think about faith, it's like, okay, whose faith are we talking about? So it seems like we're talking about Rahab's faith. And she had faith because she believed in God and she knew, saw what God had done and she was, these people were coming in to take over her, her city and she was saying, you know what? I know what God can do. I'm going to be on God's side. So you guys come in and I'll show you the, some secrets to how to navigate the city. But it's also the faith of the spies because they were going in following God. And look who God had prepared in one of these dark areas. Where do you put the prostitutes? Okay, now today certain cities, they're lit up in lights on the side of the street. But 
back then, they were still sensitive enough to such things to put them in dark corners, off to the side, and so Rahab's over here, and so you're a spy, you're trying to get in, where do you go? You're in those little dark corners, trying to get in, and look who God had already prepared there before they even arrived. And so this was all because they went in by faith, and then Rahab was there by faith, and then all this happens because it's not our faith that saves us. It's we're saved through faith by Jesus Christ. It's the faith is what connects us to our Savior. Um, it's not your faith in a branch as you're coming down a, a, a steep hill and you grab the branch because you believe it's going to save you. Well, it may or it may not. I don't care how much faith you have in that branch, but if you have no faith in it, you won't reach out to it at all. But the least little amount of faith will cause you to reach out and grab it. But then it depends on the branch, how sturdy it is. And that's the thing. Our faith just has to be slight enough to follow him, to believe in him. But then he is firm and he is solid. So having faith in him, the object of our faith is what saves us. But without faith, it's impossible to please God and it's impossible to, to follow God and to walk in the spirit. And then he gets to verse 32. And he says, give me just a second. And he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. These were judges in the book of Judges. These things they did, they were mighty warriors. They did, you know, amazing things based on, on faith. And David and Samuel, first the, the king of Israel. And Samuel, the prophet, and the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all these prophets, Nathan, who through faith, and these are things they did, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. So what sort of promises? Because it's going to say later that they didn't obtain the promises. We get to a different place. But these promises, Joshua would conquer Canaan. He was promised, and he did, that Gideon would defeat the Midianites. And he did. That David would be king of Israel, even though he's a lowly shepherd boy. And Saul was a mighty king. But he became what God, and they did what God had promised that they would do. So this is what God is telling us. Is look, God makes a way. When everything seems hopeless in our situations, God has a plan and he has power to accomplish his purposes. And faith in him is what we need to be able to walk in his paths. That's quoted Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're encouraged to have this faith in him, to follow him wherever he leads, I'll go. And that's what we do. And then look what God accomplishes. I mean, this list of things is quite amazing when you read it. So it's, it's saying, we can do these things, conquer kingdoms, yeah, enforce justice, whatever God's plan for you is, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape to the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to, to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. So there were even these miracles that had taken place. And that's the kind of faith we want. That's what we want faith to achieve. And that's what a lot of churches preach, and that's where they end the sermon. 
because if your faith is strong enough, look what you do. You don't go into the ditch. You don't drive a Chevette. You don't. You conquer kingdoms. You escape the sword. I mean, just read this stuff. You quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. You're made strong out of weakness. You become mighty in war. You put foreign armies to flight. And these things are true. You can and may do these things depending on what God's plan for you is. But that is not always what God's plan for his people is. And it appears scripturally that for the time where we live now, that rarely is what happens as you, as you walk by sight. But if you walk by faith, even greater things than this is happening to us today. We won't see it because we walk by sight. We want to see worldly kingdoms. We want to see physical kingdoms destroyed. And Jesus comes, and that's one of the things they were disappointing him with. You didn't destroy Rome like we thought. <laughs> I'm going to destroy sin. I don't take care of Rome. I don't take care of all that kind of thing. But we walk by, by sight. And then we read the rest of the story. So we get to the second half of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so I mean, you might be tempted to believe, well, some of them, it's like that first group, Man, those were people of powerful faith. The second group, eh, they had a little more faith. They could have done the other stuff. So sometimes you're a believer, and, you know, things are going to go bad. But if you could be like the super Christians, if you could be like the, these super guys, then you wouldn't have these things happen. But he adds this thing in here. It's, just, it's just like his heart goes out. The world was not worthy of them. And look what happened. Because sometimes this is what happens. Um, this A.W. Pink uh, writes this. He says, The fiercer the opposition to spiritual faith, the grander the opportunity for bringing forth its choicest fruit. Oftentimes, the faith which suffers is greater than the faith that can boast of an open triumph. So what he's saying is, if you're not really going through any trials, you can still have faith. But a person that's been through lots of trials has had to lean on their faith, has had to depend on their faith. And so your faith gets stronger as you go through these trials. So you have to be careful to think, not to think that because I'm going through trials, my faith must be lacking. Because I'm going through hardship, it must be because I'm not living a good enough life. Now, those things may be true. Your own sin can get you in trouble, and you can drive into the ditch. You know, God says, do this, don't do that. And you're like, ah, I'm going to do it anyway. And God sometimes just goes, fine. <laughs> and this is going to be to my glory for your good, for your faith, but you're about to have an experience that's going to be very difficult for you, and you didn't have to do it if you just listened to start with. 
Not because he's angry with you, not because he's punishing you, but because you know if you have children, sometimes you just kind of have to let them do it. And then there's some things that's like, I don't care, you're not going to learn about burning your hand by slamming it down on an eye. But sometimes you've got to have a little bit of a burn before you understand the actual fear of it. You, your kids are running out into the road, you don't just go, go ahead, get hit by a car. You will say that to them, but you know you don't mean it. You stop them. And you have to stop them. And you have to explain to them why. So some things we learn because we learn to trust our parents. Some things we teach our kids by not having them experience, but by having them experience other things so that they can learn to trust us when we're talking about more important things. And God works with us in similar ways. It's a very difficult thing to figure out sometimes because we walk by sight. And we don't trust in his grace and his mercy enough. Paul said, when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul didn't say the stronger I am, the more I have confidence in how well I'm doing. He's like, when it's about me and how good I'm doing, God's over there somewhere just shaking his head. Metaphorically, he's not really doing it. You know, but it's just like, no. When I'm weak. I just I like to use the analogy of train wheels. You know, we want our kids, you put train wheels on the bike, it's like, okay, and they're finally able to do it without train wheels, and you're holding on to the bike, and you finally let them, and you let them go on their own, and it's like, oh, that's so sweet. Look at them. They're on their own. And you want them to be on their own. I don't want my kid having to depend on me to have to hold on to the bike the whole time they're riding down, down the road. And one reason is I'm liable to cause more problems than <laughs> they would cause. But God's not like that. God is like, you, you start off with training wheels, and you eventually need to learn, I'm the one, you need to just hold on to me and don't let go. Let me do all the driving and stuff. But even with God, he doesn't just say, let go and let God. He says, let's go. I'm with you. And, some, and he does it with us. It's strange that God's absolute, absolutely in total control of all things, and yet in such a way that we're held accountable for our actions, and he allows us to do things, and yet those things are under his control, which is all good news for the believer. So that no matter how bad you screw up, and we do, he's, he has a way of taking care of that. And he was in control of that. And that'll mess with your head a little bit and say, who's in control of my sin? Well, God's in absolute total control of everything. He's not the author of sin. But if God did not want something to happen, it would not happen. But yet God doesn't want us to sin. All right, so follow me here. There's two wills of God, his prescriptive will and his decretive will, okay? Prescriptions and decrees. He prescribes that we should not sin, but he has decreed that certain things are going to happen through our sin, okay? So God doesn't want us to sin, and God doesn't want anything bad to happen, but God knows because of the situation of life and the fall and everything that he's doing, he works through this situation and uses sin sinlessly. And it's difficult to understand, but it's important for us to understand, especially for somebody who had, well, one of the most obvious examples, I think, is having a baby out of wedlock or just being you know, it's something you just, you're pregnant and it's not out of God's will, prescriptive will. So what about the kid? You know, it's like, that kid ought not even be here. You know, so if only people who are conceived without sin are worth being here, then Jesus is the only one. Um, he makes a way forward. You know, you are where you are. Okay, let's go forward. It's the sovereignty of God. You know, if you were here and you were conceived in sin, 
as David said he was. Praise God. Here we are. And God makes a way and has a purpose and a plan for every single messed up thing that we ever have done or ever will do. And it doesn't mean that we're excused for it. But it means that he can forgive us and we can walk forward in grace knowing that even the times I drove my car into the ditch, God wanted me in that ditch for some reason. It doesn't mean go out and drive your car in a ditch. It means when you drive your car into a ditch, and we will, then we can still trust that we haven't ruined God's plan for our life, and he works through all these things. So we have to be careful about the prosperity preachers, or even ourselves who sometimes do this, who preach at wealth and ease, or for those of true faith. And so let's quickly look at Acts chapter 14, verse 21 just to get these things in our heads real good. But just, whenever I read the Hebrews, of whom the world was not worthy. It's just, it's just beautiful. And I don't want to say, are you talking about us? The world is not worthy of us. <laughs> it's like, that's a bit arrogant. So God could say that about us, but you know what? The world is not worthy of us. And yet he tells us to love the world, to go into the world, to 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 preach the gospel because he's saving people even out of this world. So Acts 14, 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saving that through, continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So there's the Bible saying you're going to get the kingdom of God, you're going to have lots of problems. You're going to have lots of tribulations. So a preacher of church, yourself that teaches yourself, I shouldn't ever have any problems. It's like, no, you're going to have problems, you're going to have tribulations. It doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. It just means God is at work in you. And then Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Luke 14, 27. This is Jesus talking about the cost of discipleship. And so Luke 14, verse 27. He talks about bearing your own cross, your own unjust suffering, your own things that you have to go through that, you know, Jesus didn't carry a cross because of his sin. He carried a cross because of God's plan for his life. And so sometimes we bear these crosses too. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will mock him, saying, ha, ha. I'm sorry, I added that. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not not, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
that you cannot be my disciple if you do not renounce all that you have. Now, does that mean that you have to sell everything and follow him? Well, for some people, yes. But for some people, it may mean you really get quite a business that's grown and lots of income coming in. But if you're a believer who's going to follow Jesus, you have to be able to say, that's not mine. That's his. That's why we tithe. That's why we give a portion of what we have is the setting it all apart is saying, not because I get 10, God gets 10% and I get to live, I, everything else is mine. It's like, no, it's all his. And this just says, I'm acknowledging that this is his by giving the first fruits offering. But if he says, that car is mine, that house is mine, you're mine, your life is mine, the money is mine, everything is mine, then when your house burns down or something bad happens, you run your car into a ditch and you have to pay for it, it's like, why'd you do this to me? He's like, it's my car. You drove my car in the ditch. <laughs> you talk about why did I do this to you? And you know, this is yours. This is, and then so... And that's why if Jesus says, go and sell all you have and come and follow me, you've got to sell all you have and come and follow him. That's not necessarily a directive to every single person, but it is a, was a directive to one person. And don't think that that person was the only person in the world that Jesus has ever called to do that to. But you have to be able to say, Jesus, if you tell me to sell all that I have and follow you, then I'm going to do it. And then don't believe for a second that you're right when you say you're going to do it because we're way too clingy to our stuff. And it doesn't matter what culture you're in. There's going to be something that you've, everybody always talks about, that they used to always talk about, it's very politically incorrect these days, I guess, the native in the jungle who had never heard of Christ. So it's got to be the kindly soul living in the rainforest who's never heard of Christ. And so he's out there, never heard of Christ. And when I grew up, there's George of the Jungle. He's kind of like a Tarzan. It was George, George, George of the Jungle, strong as he could be. And uh, he's just a goofy little fella. Well, he wasn't little. He's big, living out in the jungle, as kind as he could be. And that's what we think about. Somebody's never heard of Christ, and they're just innocent. But no, George's jungle's probably out there torturing monkeys or something. I don't know. He's arguing over the oranges, coveting stuff, because there are none who are righteous, no, not one. And so we have to be able to say, George gets saved, he's going to have to maybe give up the little bit he has. How much harder is it for us to give up? You know, which is harder for you? You don't have a little bit and you're called to give it up or to have a whole kingdom and you have to give it up. And I don't know which is harder. But God says it it's all belongs to me. And that means he's going to protect it. He's going to take care of it. And he's going, because the most important thing is you and your faith because that's what's going to save you. So anything that happens in your life, if he takes his car from you or if he does even worse things than I don't even want to, think about and it's hard to think about God doing bad things to you but you know it works in the grand plan and sovereignty of God when one day you go to heaven you go why did that happen he says this and you go oh all right the Lord giveth the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord and that's hard and then real quick second Corinthians chapter 12 Second Corinthians. It's after Romans and First Corinthians. Second Corinthians twelve verse seven. Second Corinthians twelve verse seven. 
So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is Paul talking, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So can we say that we are content in weakness? I might, I might would laughingly fool myself to think yes. But then are you content with insults? Eh, that, one, that one gets me. You know, I don't like the insults. That's why I don't go on Twitter, because as soon as you post something, you're going to get a thousand insults. It's like, eh, can't deal with it. So off we go. Um, hardships. Am I content with Christ in hardships? It depends. How about persecutions? Now, there, that's the one that gets you. Persecutions. I mean, it's big persecutions. We haven't really expended, you know, but like for the sake of Christ even. Just somebody, you know, persecutions. You content. Calamities. Think of a calamity. What a word a calamity is. A calamity. Children, if you don't know that word, that's a word for you. Calamity. Are we content with God? Because in those things, why is he content? Because those things make me weak, and when I'm weak, then he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Last place, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Just one book over to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. This is amazing to me. <clears throat> and we think that, you know, who should we be? How should we be? What type, you know, the world's not worthy of us. <laughs> we should be elevated. We should be, this is what um, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign because they've elevated themselves up in their heads, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. King James, we are the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things. I really like the NIV because it kind of says it the way we would say it. We are the scum of the earth. The garbage of the world. This is what the apostles have said. That's, that's how we're treated and seen. And if we're followers of them, we should be like that too. We don't seek to be that, but don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes among you. It's for our good and for his glory. Yet the world was not worthy of them. And then we see our brothers and sisters tortured and burdened by the world because of their faith, and we can say, man, the world's not worthy of them. So live your life with meaning and live your life with purpose. Live it with intentionality. 
by truly trusting in and truly loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves, trying to walk in his footsteps and following him. Life is short. And many of us, the younger you are and the less you've been through, it may seem long. And when I thought about that, it takes me obviously to Pink Floyd, which has a song that I like that says, you are young and life is long. And there is time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years of God behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. So I'm telling you, run. The Bible's saying, run. Get on with it. You're not guaranteed anything. Go with it. Use everything you have, every gift you have, every blessing you have. It's all God's. Use it to his glory. Live life. Burn it out for Christ. Just live like you believe it and love like you believe it. Trust that God's in control. He's got a plan. He has the power. He's going to accomplish his purposes because the rest of the Pink Floyd song, where it ends from there, it's not so good because our highest purpose and highest aim is to glorify God by loving and trusting him forever and to point others to live for him. And you'll probably see great victories and you'll probably experience significant hardships, but dig deep into your faith, live it out, walk by faith, not by sight. Because the song ends where it says, so you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking and racing behind to come up behind you again. And the sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Now, there's a bright singing Christmas song. <laughs> but what it's saying is you're chasing after the sun. You're running and you're running and you're running. It's going down. It's coming up behind you again. Time is going and you're running and you're running for what? You're shorter of breath, one day closer to death. If you don't live your life for purpose, not chasing the sun, but the sun, I need to put it like that, but if you're living your life to accomplish what? Better house, better position that the world has said. These are the things that we're supposed to do that makes us successful. All right, I will try to accomplish those things to the best of my ability. So you're just chasing the sun. And then one day you find 10 years. No one told you when to run. You missed a starting gun. Run. You have fields of grace. You've got faith. You've got, what are you going to do? Mess it all up? Yeah, that's what you're in a church for. You have friends for. You have people to encourage you. You have, it's like, you know, you, if you mess things up because you're trying to follow God, then God will provide people around you if you're truly doing it. A lot of people mess things up because they say they're following God, but they're not. They're just following an idol that they've made into a guide. But when you're between the rock and a hard place, you're between the Red Sea and the greatest army in the history of the world that wants to destroy you and then there's one we follow who has gone forward, taken his staff, was nailed to the cross, died for us, entered into the heavenly places, has provided a way and a path for us to follow and by faith we get there and we get through it let's pray, Father God we're going to take communion in just a minute and that's saying we rededicate our lives we follow you through death, you gave your body you gave your blood and you tell us to eat and to drink and we have union with you, communion with one another, communion with you we're not in it alone and we can't live without you because we'll blow it, we'll mess it up and we won't survive it, but with you through you, and you in us and us in you, you've already defeated death and darkness the Lord calls us to walk, to run to act, to work in faith 
Give us more faith. I know we all desire it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.